Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second episode with Kyle Detweiler for Future Hacker. We are having a very interesting conversation regarding the cannabis industry. Kyle, the production of cannabis and the discussions around it, uses and the boundaries, they're all heavily influenced by the cultural and religious beliefs of the community involved. So how are you dealing with this conservative side of the society when it comes to going after approval, the regulations, as science and education may lose the battle to strong-rooted beliefs in so many occasions of our history? Well, th this is a really great question, and I'm probably going to give you a long answer because I think it's a personal one. I am a, generally a conservative person, and I, until I got to you know, my early 30s, was also opposed to the use of cannabis. And I was really just a victim of propaganda. You know, most conservative objections to cannabis are rooted in false pretenses about, you know, the types of society that uses cannabis, you know, its effects on, on children, the fact, you know, you might get injured from cannabis, like, you know, having too much alcohol to drink. And that is just wrong. It is just flat wrong. And I, I bought into that. I went to Princeton University, I went to Harvard Business School, I thought I was a smart person, and I just got this wrong. And after I began to learn about it, start to study the research, I saw that, wait a minute, the number of people dying from the overconsumption of alcohol is statistically you know, identified, there's studies about it, and you can't find more than anecdotal evidence of that ever happening for somebody that uses cannabis. In fact, what we're starting to see is that cannabis reduces the use of more dangerous opioids, and reduces the mortality associated with opiate use. Cannabis is saving people's lives wherever it comes. And that's, you know, before we even get to, can it help with epileptic seizures? Can it be used as an anti-nausea -anti mechanism? I'm an example of society, right? And, and there are people, if we're, if we're zooming in Brazil, that no doubt, you know, have the same viewpoints that I do before I began to study this industry. And so I think a company like Cleverly's in a responsible industry, our obligation is to show people the data, right? As a country approaches cannabis, I think there's a responsible way to do it. I think the draft legislation in Brazil is talking about sort of a tight regulation on what I would consider marijuana or high THC cannabis. And there's probably a looser definition or looser security requirements for the production of hemp. And that's a simple way. You know, if we have to put up tall fences and have a lot of security, around a facility that produces high THC products. Okay, that's great. I mean, we, we do that in Colombia anyways. We do that in Portugal, where we also produce products anyways, but this is going to take time. And so, you know, if we go back to, you know, the last podcast where I was talking about making sure that we as an industry don't screw this up, right? We do not want what happened in the U.S. a couple years ago when bad thickening agents got into vape pens. They weren't regulated. They weren't overseen by MDs or the FDA. And people consume those products and they die. We can't, you know, allow that to happen. Cleverly's motto is to cultivate mojo, create value and change lives. We're here to make a positive impact on the world. We want people to see the power of cannabinoids. And so if it takes us 10 years to convince the most strict parts of society, whether it's in Brazil or the United States, that's fine. We're patiently impatient. You know, I, I've seen in my experience that 
conservative objections to cannabis all fall away when your grandmother is 70 years old, she's in hospice, or she's going through chemotherapy, and a friend calls me and says, Kyle, what could I do? What possible things? I've heard cannabis can help. What what could I do? Now, I'm, I'm not a physician. I can't really you know make any good recommendations, but experience by experience like that in the United States is starting to change people's minds. And I think in Brazil, as people begin to start to see that this is not, this is just a natural product, right? This isn't even a chemically produced product. It's a little bit more potent than other pain medications like Advil or aspirin, We, you know, for sure. But the science stands behind this. It saves lives and it's going to help someone that you know, a family member of yours in this lifetime is going to be benefiting from the use of cannabis. And that is how societal perceptions change over time. Yes, I've, I've been reading that um, here in Brazil, if, if you want to try to get it for medical use, for epilepsy, for, you know, helping out the chemo treatments and things like that, you have to go through this nightmare of legal approvals and bureaucracies and, and getting the product down here is long, it's expensive and, you know, so hopefully that will change. But still following that line, how to work on educating the market. I, I like that you said I was a victim of propaganda, right? Because it's about education, really, regarding the, the, the possibilities about the medical use, right? If in countries like Brazil, you're not even allowed to publicize on a regular media. Yeah, well, that's tricky, right? And, you know, Cleverlease believes that the power of scientific research will ultimately prevail. It seems crazy that a government would censor you know, responsible scientific and medical literature around cannabis. And as people start to see that there is some value to this product, I think it will be able to be publicized. You know, do we need billboards in Rio de Janeiro with, you know, a picture of, a, you know, somebody relaxing, smoking a joint? No, that's not what we're talking about, right? We want people to see the data. And, you know, I think it will just take a little bit of time. You know, there needs to be personalization of an event like this. The United States benefited early on, you know, there was a young epileptic um, woman, which became famous because her name was Charlotte and and she, um, you know, sort of became, there was a strain of, of hemp or cannabis called Charlotte's Web that, that came, came out of that. And that became like folklore. You know, people made Netflix documentaries about it. There were TED Talks about it, right? And that sort of ground roots support, I think will will also help. In the meantime, you know, Cleverly's can focus on medical research, we can focus on the science, and we will have to win people's hearts and minds the old-fashioned way. Yeah, makes sense. So, uh, Caio, I'd like to cover, as usual here in Future Hacker, I'd like to cover some different aspects, you know, possible future uses, if not current uses even. So we covered a lot, you know, we talked a little about the recreational side, we covered a lot the medical side. So what about the edible segment around cannabis, which has been growing as well? What are the trends around that? Uh, sure. So the way I think about edibles in a, in a nutshell is name one other medicine that you incinerate and smoke, <laughs> right? It, it's a very uncomfortable format. We also live in a world where You know, if I might have been victim of propaganda for cannabis, I lost two of my grandparents to lung cancer because they had been smoking tobacco for their entire life. And so this anti-smoking stigma, I think, also kind of sits in the back of 
of people's minds. And so when it comes to an edible, an edible feels like an alternative solution that's not going to damage people's you know, esophagus or, or lungs. And so even if we weren't talking about cannabis, though, there is a trend, at least in the United States, around nutraceuticals away from what I would call like a solid oral dose product, like, um, you know, think of like a vitamin that you, you know, swallow and process through your system in 12 or 24 hours. And now the, the gummy vitamin has become a lot more popular. You know, it tastes better for people. You know, there's not like a choking risk. If you don't swallow it right the first time, the pill doesn't start to dissolve and, you know, taste bad. So I think even outside of cannabis, edible consumption of nutraceuticals is beginning to really take a, a greater part of of market share. And so I think the trends for cannabinoids in an edible format are really no no different than that. I think if you move to, especially where you're thinking about a responsible adult use product, people you know, could take alcohol in a purified format, but they choose to drink it in, you know, a beer or a wine. You know, you might even find champagne flavored chocolate truffles, for example, right? So those sort of consumer innovations are in other sectors as well. And I think they're starting to become a bigger and bigger part. You know, I think we were looking at some headset data and that the sales of adult use and medical edibles grew by 60% across seven state markets from uh, 2019 to 2020. So there's a lot of growth in the cannabis industry, but I think there's also just a lot of growth within the cannabis industry, uh, call it a mix shift to edibles. So I think it's important for different markets to watch, but in certain parts of the world, like you know, Brazil does not allow edible products. Germany does not allow edible products, unless you're talking about like a tincture or something like that, like a drops of oil on a tongue. But, you know, you don't see gummies in Germany and you won't see them in Brazil anytime soon. And there's also, by the way, not to get too far down this path, there is a sort of medical reason why an edible may not be an optimal deployment mechanism, right? Because cannabinoids are digested in the digestive tract. That's why a, a gummy in the United States, a psychoactive one, takes one to two hours to set in for people because people have different you know, paces of digestion, different blood absorption rates and that sort of thing. So, you know, a true pharmaceutical product tends not to be gone after in an edible format because of that process, right? There are better bioabsorption techniques than, you know, eating a gummy. Makes sense. I also read that it could be even used as a renewable biofuel. Is that correct? Is there any country already testing this segment? Would you know? Um, you know, that one stretches my scientific knowledge. You know, I hear a lot of promising attributes over cannabis or, you know, often of hemp. And you have to remember, I mean, there are, there's a lot of different varieties of hemp and cannabis, right? You know, there are short, stocky plants that have big buds and smell very fragrant. If you went over to China and you looked at a hemp field, right, you're talking about stocks that are 10 or 15 feet tall. It's like almost bamboo. There's very little flowers on it. So there's a very significant variation just because it's cannabis sativa. I mean, think about, I don't know, think about corn. You got yellow corn, you got red corn, you got mixed corn, you got tall corn, you got short corn, right? It's just a plant, right? So there's a lot of different types of it. I've heard actually not biofuel hasn't showed up as sort of the main a non you know, medical format or consumptive format. But you know, I hear a lot about the industrial strength of hemp. So there's a, a emerging theory about what they call hempcrete, what could be used as a construction material. Uh, we're starting to see it being used in other industrial applications. I've seen people talk about it for, you know, strengthening like carbon fiber. It's like a replacement for carbon fiber. But to be honest, I don't know much about that. It's hard enough just to know how pharmaceutical grade cannabis. So 
hopefully we'll learn more about that over time. Awesome. Listen, it's going to get harder here, okay? <laughs> so you mentioned biofuel is a little stretch. I'm, I'm going to stretch even further. So because of all those restrictions, you know, around commercializing cannabis, so the cryptocurrency market came into play specifically to the sector with currencies like Potcoin, Cannabis Coin, Dopecoin, and some others. I think there are at least five cryptocurrencies specifically for handling the cannabis industry. How do you see this trend? Well, thematically, I, you know, I'm not an expert on cryptocurrency, but I, I think it's a very interesting innovation. You know, those particular coins I'm not familiar with, but let's think about what our objectives are as a cannabis industry. If you have to use an illicit cryptocurrency to do what you're doing, you know, maybe you shouldn't be doing it, right? We follow all federal laws, state and local, where we operate. That is why we are a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ, one of the most prestigious stock exchanges in the world. And so if you're a conservative financial institution or government, do you want to see an industry where there's a lot of illicit activity that's going on where you can't track who's involved, who are the investors, where is the money going? Or would you rather have a highly regulated and highly scrutinized industry? So I think governments or societies, as they legalize, just need to think about these frameworks and it matters. So if you're thinking about as a cannabis company, whether you should start, you know, using some of these coins, I would say, listen, your job is very difficult as it is. You know, a lot of banks won't even work with you today because those banks have roots back to the United States and because cannabis is not federally legal there. You know, a banking franchise is taking on a lot of risk by working with you because, you know, one mistake for one of their clients and then, you know, the U.S. corporation or affiliate of that bank can be indicted for drug trafficking. Right. These are really serious Issues And so, you know, a bank is not going to risk the entire franchise on the perspective of to getting, you know, one new cannabis, you know, startup to put some deposits there. So I think the more important thing is for governments to set up a framework that makes banking of that sector allowed. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous in the United States that we have such a large cannabis industry and you still have people bringing trash bags full of cash to go pay their taxes or to try to bring it to a bank to make deposits. It's not safe for those employees. It's not a responsible way to track the industry. So I'll call back onto governments to say, listen, if you're going to allow this activity of the cannabis industry, create a framework that we can use the normal and traditional financial system so that you can track it and regulate it just as well as you would any other industry. And I think we'd all be better off. Yes, great answer, Kyle. And now, now that you mentioned, you know, the, the drug trafficking piece, and, you know, it's a, it's for sure not an easy answer. I was wondering, even if, if, if I was going to get there, but by regulating this market, by properly regulating this market, wouldn't it maybe be a positive impact on the war on drugs? Or at the end, the war, like this industry will always find a way of having different drugs to keep playing with, you know? Well, you know, while I, I tend to err on the side of a conservative or dare I say, uh, I guess an American would call it a libertarian perspective, you know, let people make their own choices about their bodies as long as they're not really impacting others. You know, I do think there is a strong argument that regulating cannabis will will accomplish two things. The first is it will probably grow the market overall. There is no doubt. I mean, I stand by our products. I think they help people. I don't consider them a drug like 
ecstasy or heroin. My gosh, that is that is so insulting to all of the research that's out there. So I think we will grow it. But the second thing that happens is just like when the United States tried to ban alcohol during its era of prohibition, people still used it. And that created, you know, organized crime and other, you know, issues around it. But by regulating that sector, you know, that doesn't happen today. I mean, you know, you still hear stories about, I guess the American term is bootlegging in, in certain parts of the United States. But for the better part of society, that activity is now regulated by governments. There's a, a unified way that people kind of label alcohol, right? We know exactly what the proof is or the alcohol content in those products. There are licenses in different states, both for producing, you know, wine or beer or spirits, as well as the consumption, right? You have to get a liquor license to open a bar or sell alcohol. So now have Americans lost their liberty because they can't have a whiskey still in the backyard? Okay, I guess technically they have a little bit, but I think society as a whole is much better off with a regulated product. There's tax revenue that comes from it that pay for schools. And if you don't have if you don't have a regulated market, that activity is still probably going to take place. You're just not going to be able to regulate it and tax it. And then, by the way, if you then have to, you know, employ an army to fight the traffickers, that's further economic loss. So not only you're not getting tax revenue from the product, but you're actually spending money only to increase the prices of the products because you're reducing the supply of them, increasing scarcity. So I think it's all, you know, a little bit of economic folly. So, Caio, I have a last question for you. Unfortunately, we are moving out of time. So let's do this. With all these advancements in science, in clinical studies, regulations, we do see many startups venturing in this sector. So where do you see the cannabis industry headed? Do you have any advice for those entrepreneurs out there? Well, this industry is going to be huge. You know, there are estimates out there that the global market will exceed $66 billion US dollars by 2025. That's four years from now. That's not very long. You know, just to give you an anecdote, in the state of Illinois, where Chicago, one of America's largest cities is, is located, today, on a monthly basis, there is now more tax revenue coming in from the sales of cannabis than there is from the sales of alcohol. Cannabis is bigger than the alcohol industry where it is beginning to emerge in the United States. So that's how people in other parts of the world should really you know, start to think about this. And so what would be the advice for entrepreneurs? Well, in my eyes, I think the industry over the last five years has been focusing on figuring out how to grow the product and how to process it into its most crude formats. But now I would really advise entrepreneurs to focus on the what next. Right. Like if Brazil starts to legalize, uh, you know, domestic production, which is not currently allowed, you could spend five years trying to rebuild the Cleverleys, but you might be better off trying to focus on downstream applications. How do we refine the product? How do I run a clinical trial? You know, what types of devices can best increase bioabsorption or improve the quality of the experience? You don't need to go build another farm. You don't need to go build another, you know, extraction facility that just makes the same product that a company like Cleverly's or, you know, any of the other cannabis companies can make. So I'd say, don't just try to go back in history. Don't go back five years. Try to try to move forward. How can we move this industry from where it is today to the next level? But don't try to recreate the wheel in Brazil. You know, find a way to build products that will go convince conservative parts of society that this plant has the power to, to save lives and make make life better for everyone on this planet. There's a whole supply chain to be improving, right? So having a new industry there, 
you have the whole the whole fear the whole market to be improving so that's great so thank you so much kyle thank you for being our guest a very interesting information here and any final words please be my guest thank you everybody for listening thanks for having me on the show future hacker life path future